Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone. This is Raja again from Melbourne, Australia, and this is podcast episode 14 in this series. And in this episode, we will discuss about some of the important things to know before you do estate planning and writing a will. I know this is a topic which can be very morbid, but it's incredibly important to protect your family when you die. It's a topic that everyone should discuss with their immediate family members and also people that they know and trust. I've already talked about personal insurance in my previous episodes, but that was more about how to financially protect your assets and family in the event of your death or medical illness or permanent disability. But in this podcast, we take those principles and apply it in legal terms. Just a reminder, I'm not a lawyer, and I think creating a will is very important, so always seek legal advice. I'm not a great fan of those do-it-yourself will kits, to be honest. So, why is this an important topic? As a doctor, I deal with people who are very sick, and I've looked after some very sick elderly patients. I've also worked in nursing homes where the issue of wills and powers of attorneys, enduring or medical, always come up, and it comes up all the time. The issue of writing certificates of capacity for decision-making also comes up, so it got me thinking about this topic for my own family. I was certainly vulnerable some years ago without a will, but having a will is a security to know that your final instructions will be followed and legally you and your family are protected. In this episode, we will discuss the important things which you must consider before finalizing, writing or even thinking about a will. So, some of the things to consider and some of the questions that you should be asking yourself and have a discussion with your loved ones is... In the event of your death, who will look after your children? Let's face it, children are one of the biggest reasons we write wills. Some people write wills to protect their spouses and extended family also. Most people don't even consider a will until they've had their first child. So, you need to think about who, you, who will look after your child after you die. And just a word of caution, we will be talking about death. We will be talking about dying which can be quite a morbid topic, but I stress it's an important topic and discussion to have today, and it's so easy to delay the discussion. I also recommend not to discuss it informally at the dinner table. I really think it's important to have a family meeting, perhaps even multiple family meetings, to discuss this topic. Some of the things to consider about who will look after your children after your death will be a guardianship. So, this is a person who's nominated to look after your children, usually minors under the age of 18, after you die. Part of this might also be similarities in values and belief systems, religion, if that's your family tradition. Has the child already bonded with people you know, grandparents, uncles, aunts, etc.? And whether the person who you nominate already has existing commitments to their family. For example, if they've already got five or six children and you're lumping your children into their guardianship, I don't know whether that's a good idea or not. 
What is the financial capacity of the person whom you nominate? Can they sustain and look after your children as best you want them to? Is it realistic? And of course, location, lifestyle, and schooling. I also recommend as part of this, you leave a letter for your children to read so that they also know some of your wishes. Of course, your children need to be able to understand your letter, so it depends on how old they are, and this letter and information must be stored safely, either with your accountant or lawyer. Lawyer is probably a better person for this sort of information and storage. The second thing you need to think about before writing a will or thinking about a will is your assets. So think about your assets, and this means writing down all the things which you own, including homes, shares, superannuation, personal insurance plans. Remember, when you die, your beneficiaries are able to access this. Do you have a plan for that? Cars, furniture, and other personal belongings, and special items. You know, a teddy bear collection or a collection of stamps or coins, personal items of value. You know, this will be your lasting legacy to your loved ones. Do you own any businesses or companies and what are their assets? And of course, things can get quite complicated when you have multiple businesses or assets. Make sure that you've made this list. Um, think about the type of ownership. Is it solely owned by you or jointly with your spouse or through your business or ABN or company? And make sure you have a copy of the land titles, mortgage titles, car titles, deals, uh, deeds. Make sure it's easy to identify, easy to locate, and you have the blueprint and map of where they are. So there's a lot of things you need to think about, particularly when it comes to your assets and what you have and what you haven't got. And where are the actual titles and deeds of those assets that you have? The third thing you need to think about is appointing an executor of your will. So what does that mean? An executor is someone you appoint to carry out your last wishes according to your will. In other words, they're ex executing your will um, and making sure what your wishes are acted on and plan to be acted on. This is probably the most important person in the will. You need to take this role seriously. Make sure you nominate a person whom you know and trust, and usually this will be your family member. For example, your spouse might be the executor of your will and vice versa. If both of you die, then it might be your close relative like a brother or sister or parents, uncles, aunts, etc. Sometimes this person can be an independent person. For example, many of the elderly nursing home patients I used to look after had no family because all the family had died or had estranged families. So they would nominate a close friend or perhaps even their own lawyer whom they have maintained a very long-term relationship. So it need not only be family members, but in most instances, I suspect it might be family members. The other main question to ask is, does the executor have to be a beneficiary? The answer is no. And I guess you need to consider the pros and cons of making the executor also the beneficiary. If they're not a beneficiary, then will this executor act for free? Or is there a system of payment for them to act as your executor? I guess the question is, why would someone do it apart from pure donation of time if they're not getting paid for it? It's a good question when you think about it. And I know family members often say that they'll do things for free, but... Um, as we'll talk about a bit later, being an executor can be a thing that you do for a very long time. So sometimes even family members might want to be remunerated somehow or be some sort of a beneficiary um, as part of your will. Now, don't forget about state trustees. So the state trustees department can be your executor 
And this is not unusual, especially if you have no one or are anticipating family or friend conflict upon your death. It's potential nightmarish scenario, but you'll be surprised how many times state trustees are involved. Certainly true in my role as a doctor looking after elderly sick nursing home residents. Usually the payment for the state trustee appointee will be based out of your estate, so it doesn't come without its own cost. And I do remember that um, dealing with the state trustees quite a lot in terms of asking permission even to be able to get nursing home residents in a particular equipment that they need for their health care and their money is actually fully managed by the person in the state trustees department and they're completely independent because the resident did not trust uh, their friends or family to be able to do that for them um, you know in a in a good way so it's actually not uncommon I've, I've, I've had to deal with this sort of issues myself Think about your beneficiaries. So you basically thought about your assets, your executor, the guardianship who's going to look after your children. Think about who's going to get your estate or part of your estate. We've already talked about beneficiaries when it comes to personal insurance plans, so you probably know this concept of a beneficiary already. Um, a beneficiary are persons or trusts or companies or charities that you wish to benefit from your will upon your death. They can receive specific gifts or a share in your residential estate, home, stock portfolio, super, etc. Remember, you will still need to pay off debts that you owe. So if you have debts, then your beneficiary will only get the leftover money once your debts are paid off. The taxman, banks, and people that you owe money to will come knocking to get their money. So unfortunately, you can't just write off your debt. Um, you know, you need to pay off what you, what you owe to certain people, particularly the taxman. Money does not have emotion. So do not allocate emotion to this topic. You need to be objective and you need to be honest about what will happen after your death. And, you know, you know, one of my colleagues has told me that, you know, you need to treat people suspiciously. And that's an unfortunate reality in today's world. Now, in terms of beneficiaries, can children be beneficiaries? Um, you know, definition of a child is anyone less than the age of 18. Yes, they can. A child is anyone aged less than of 18 years, of, 18 years of age, but this is where the executor comes in. The executor is primarily responsible for administrating the assets of the child in accordance with the terms of the will. So let's use an example to give you a real-life example, really. Um, you have, let's say you have one child aged six and you die. Uh, there is no one else, um, so your spouse has also died and there's no siblings. Your executor is also the guardian of that child. So you leave your home to the child and assume the home is fully paid off for. So you've paid off your home loan and you've got assets and, and, and you want to give your child the home. This means that the executor needs to manage this home until the child reaches adulthood and then hand it over to the child as per the wishes in your will. So that's how powerful and important the executor is. And this means the executor will need to do this work for another 12 more years because, remember, the child's only six years of age. So you need to factor in how they'll be paid for this work. I mean, to be an executor of a will for up to 12 years is potentially a lot of hard work. In addition to raising that child, remember, this person is also the guardian for that child. Nothing is free in this world. So even if the executor is your family member, this is why executors are important and nominating them is a very important decision. You really need to think very hard and clear about this. In this case, 
They're also the guardian. So if the guardian is different, it can get more complicated. But the executor will then need to liaise with the guardian to ensure all the needs of the child is met. And that includes costs and expenses associated with the child. So clothing, education, food, housing, etc., etc. So it can get complicated. So a lot of people might appoint a guardian who's also the executor and might have a uh, them as a beneficiary of that will as well. Not 100% beneficiary, but part of the will goes to them for their efforts um, to make sure that the child is raised in a specific way to make sure the child is looked after well and to make sure that the appropriate assets are appropriated um, to that child upon their, um, uh, upon their adulthood. Um, now, beneficiaries can receive cash, um, they can receive assets, or they can receive items of special significance, as discussed before. So you can nominate and specify this in the will and be as specific as possible. So if you've got a very important vase that you want to give to um, a specific family member, then you need to stipulate that in the will. Okay. Now, funeral plans. Don't forget that. Remember, as part of the will, you need to have funeral plans as well. Now, if you have specific requests for your funeral plans, mention it in your will so your executor has an idea about how to go about organizing your funeral. Um, organ donation. I strongly advise you have a plan for this. People think that when they die, then you know, they don't really need to have an organ donation plan, then the family will just take care of it. That, in reality, doesn't happen. Australia has one of the worst organ donation rates in the world, and we are an opt-in system, not an opt-out system. So not only should this be mentioned in your will, um, you should at least have a letter accompanying this in the will. Um, you will also need to uh, register yourself with donatelife.gov.au and uh, make sure you tell your family members about it as well. So there's no point being an organ donor and then keeping it a secret. Um, the last thing you want to do is, um, you know, keep these sort of things a secret and no one knows about it. Make sure you carry your organ donation card. So when you donate uh, your organ or when you register for, for your donation, you get an organ donation card and I've got mine in my wallet at all times. So if you die unnaturally, at least people will know your organs can be donated. It's an incredible gift to others, so I strongly suggest you consider it. Look, when I was um, uh, a medical student, I was um, involved in, um, you know, retrieving organs in terms of, you know, accompanying harvesting teams, you know, so we'd have this pager and when someone dies and, and um, you'd get a page because they're an organ donor, you'd go and retrieve the organs. I was, I was sort of, you know, observing and as part of, the, part of that team. And, um, and then that, those organs get, you know, transported um, to people that need them. And, of course, the people that need them also have a pager and they, uh, well, this is back in the day, and, and, and they get a page saying that, hey, you know, you need to come to hospital at this time, at this hour, we need to get on with this. And this could happen in the middle of the night. And it's just an incredible uh, experience to be able to, you know, it was, it was a very humbling experience to be able to know that someone who's just died, um, in all the grief, um, you know, the family uh, are very gracious and, and, and the patient, of course, who's deceased was very gracious um, to donate their organ um, in, uh, in such circumstances to someone else and essentially they live on um, in someone else's body. And I think that's a very incredible, incredible humbling experience. I was very fortunate to be, um, uh, to be part of that system. Um, and um, the other thing is, you know, you've got to keep your financial planner or accountant uh, in the loop. So, you know, this is probably something that goes without saying, but it's important to keep your 
um, you know, financial planner or accountant in the loop. Imagine if they had all of your financial matters sorted only to find out you screwed up something in the will. So, you know, you've got to make sure that they are kept in the loop as well. The details of the will, you know, the accountant or the uh, financial planner need not know about that. But it's important to tell them where is the will, where is it kept, who is your lawyer, who's managing it, who's got the documents, that sort of information. Um, So the exact details are not really that important. It's about, you know, specifying, you know, who to contact in the event of your death. Now, exclusion criteria. Who misses out on your will? This is controversial. Life isn't always pleasant. There may be complex situations where you'll need to address when drafting a will. So some of the things you want to think about and some of the things you want to include might be who are the people that you want to exclude from your will? Sounds horrible, doesn't it? This may include previous marriages, divorces, estranged children or relatives. And this is especially true if you're a high net worth individual. It's amazing how money changes people. You get people coming all out of the in a forest in the woodworks, hey, you know, I deserve to have this much of your will, uh, of your estate or whatever. So you need to exclude people. You need to be, you know, explicit about it if you have any exclusions. What about one of your beneficiaries has a special need? You know, if they have a disability, how will your estate provide for this? Is there detailed specific instructions to your executor about this? Um, superannuation fund. Usually there are beneficiaries, but you have a self-managed super fund. This may get a little bit complicated, so you need to think about that. And if you own a business or companies or multiple businesses or companies, then again, you need to factor this in. So make sure and think about what you need to include, what you need to exclude, whom you need to exclude, and be specific about what part of your estate goes to whom, when, etc. Now, as part of drafting a will, I think it's really important to think about powers of attorney. Um, uh, and there's, you know, two main types, medical versus enduring financial power of attorney. Now, a lot of people think that having a enduring power of attorney, which is financial, is basically all-encompassing. A medical power of attorney is completely separate. So it's for obvious reasons. So the person who makes your medical decisions, if they have a vested interest in your finances, then you can see how things may not work out the way you want them to work out. So, you know, there are two separate uh, things that you need to consider. So power of attorney is an important topic, and we'll briefly go through this. Um, So there are two main types, as I've alluded to before, the medical power of attorney, who will make your medical decisions for you in the event you're unable to due to medical incapacity. This is very important. I would often speak to the MPOA when it comes to making medical decisions, Um, certainly when the patient can't make um, decisions themselves. And this is especially true in people with cancer, end-of-life decisions, um, especially if they have not been documented clearly in the advanced care plan or directive. Now, this is another topic in itself. A medical power of attorney is an independent power of attorney. You have an enduring power of attorney. does not mean you can make medical decisions. That's an important thing that I've already talked about. So this is often a mistake done by people. They think they've got a power of attorney sorted out, and they think they can apply to all circumstances, including medical. That's not true. Now, during financial power of attorney, most people would consider appointing a person who will manage your finances in the event of your incapacity. So you need to think about that um, uh, as part of creating a will as well. Now, things you need to know about um, uh, incapacity. So, uh, you know, if you were incapacitated, who makes decisions for your uh, children who are minors? Uh, particularly if the guardian is not appointed. That's got to be factored in um, for um, uh, for your um, uh, uh, decision-making in the event that you become incapacitated. You know, making you and your partner each other's power of attorneys, this is likely the most common method people choose, but what happens if both of you die? What happens if both of you are incapacitated? 
It's unlikely, but, you know, if you're traveling in a car and you get hit by a truck, both of you are incapacitated, you know, it's potentially possible. You hear about horrendous stories in the media about this all the time, and I really hope it doesn't happen to anyone, but it's something that you need to be prepared for. Now, what happens if all of your family are incapacitated? What if all of you die, you know? Uh, even if you have adult children or, you know, unfortunately you're traveling in a plane and the plane drops out of the sky and all of you perish, what happens to your estate? You know, this is an interesting dilemma because you don't have any children because they're dead and you can't give it to them. So what do you do? So you need to factor that in into your um, powers of attorney and also into your will as well. These are all very important situations you need to consider and hopefully I haven't absolutely made you uh, depressed. So it's really important um, to know what happens if you don't have a will. So, you know, walk outside and get struck by lightning and die, and you don't have a will. What happens in Australia? Well, firstly, it depends on which state that you live in. So most of what I'm going to speak about is in the state of Victoria in Australia, but I think you should Google your own state rules and legislation. But I can't see how it can differ greatly, to be honest. Um, you know, we live under a national scheme, so but it's always important to check your local state guidelines. If you don't have a will in Victoria, basically you will give the power to the state or the government to determine how your estate is distributed. That's right. You will give the power to the government. This all sounds pretty drastic, but let's look at it closely. If you die without a will, it means you have died interstate. So that's spelled I-N-T-E-S-T-A-T-E, not interstate as in I'm going interstate for a holiday, it's intestate. So there are laws in place with a clear order of operations for inheritance. So it's predetermined to make sure descendants and partners can get the assets to which they're entitled to. So what is the order of operations? So for example, the first person that will come knocking on the door is your creditors. All debts need to be repaid. So literally they come knocking on your grave for their money and money has no emotion. I've already mentioned about this before. So, some examples of creditors include funeral expenses, taxes, debts, outstanding legal and administrative expenses. Um, so, these are all people that will come knocking on your grave. And then the estate administrator, which is usually the state run through the number of levels of re re uh, relations to make sure they locate them. So, if you can't locate at each level, they move to the next level. So, the order of operations in terms of relational uh, people that they will contact is your spouse, so your partners, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your siblings, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your great-grandparents, nieces, nephews, first cousins, great-nieces, great-nephews, first cousins once removed, second cousins, any other family member, and eventually the state government, if they can't locate any of these people, that's right, if you have no one, then the government gets your money. So, um, if you don't have a will, yes, your family still are entitled. Yes, they will get their money, but it's actually quite complicated. Um, so there are actually rules and regulations and order of operations to make sure that the creditors are paid and every other family member is paid. And eventually, if you, they can't locate anyone, then of course the government gets the money. Now, so there are also actually rules and regulations on how long you need to have a domestic partner for them to be classified as part of the order of operations, how long you need to be married or not before you're entitled to any assets. And if you're into this sort of detail, it's worthwhile Googling intestacy laws in your state. Okay. Now, before any of this happens, though, before anyone gets any money, um, someone who has a stake in your estate um, has a grant of administration, has to get a grant of administration from the courts, explain the situation, so they must have a good reason to do so. Whoever applies first gets it first. So if you have multiple people applying for it, it's first come, first serve. So it's a good idea 
If you want to head down this pathway, you get a good estate lawyer um, as things um, can get very expensive and complex. So what that means is if you don't have a will, you die and you have a whole host of family members, whichever family members goes to the court and explains the situation and gets what's called a grant of administration, they get first preference in terms of how these sort of estate uh, is being distributed. Now, that's a very simplistic view, but you might want to look into it and maybe talk to a lawyer about it. Um, but if you're going to go down that pathway, that is if you're a family member that are going after an estate and you want to get a grant of administration, I would suggest that you get a good lawyer to represent you because it's actually quite complicated and it's actually not easy. Now, how do you avoid all this? Have a will. Make sure you have a will. Make sure you have a power of attorney. Make sure you have everything in order so that there's a blueprint upon your death so there is no ambiguity. People know exactly what to do and the executor and the guardian, they all work together and, you know, hopefully life will be sweet in your death. That's a bit of an oxymoron, but anyway. So we've talked a lot about wills, we've talked a lot about death, and we've talked about power of attorneys, and I can't stress enough, it's a very important topic. Before I finish up, let's talk about one other concept which you may want to consider, and it's called a testamentary trust, which is usually useful if you want greater level of control of distribution of assets to various beneficiaries. So what that means is, so let me give you an example. Let's say you have a will and you die and you give some of that assets to your children um, and they're adults, but they're not married. Now, who's to say that when they do get married um, or they're already married, for example, who's to say that when they get divorced, their partner then basically claims a stake in the estate um, that you've given your children. So that's, you know, theoretically, nothing is stopping the new partner of your child from claiming a stake in the whole of the estate. So there are some protection systems that are in place. One of them is called a testamentary trust. It's a very simplistic explanation. And I think it's always worthwhile discussing with a lawyer about this because it's uh, something that enables a level of protection for your assets because, you know, most people would want their assets to be distributed to their immediate family members and not to some Tom, Dick and Harry who gets married to your family member and then eventually divorces them and then gets all of their stake in their estate. So, you know, it's something that you want to consider, particularly uh, when you're drafting a will, um, uh, unless you're absolutely confident that your kids won't end up in that sort of strife, which really no one can really be confident in. So that's the last little bit about wills and POAs. I hope you found this episode um, useful. Um, I'm sorry it's been a bit morbid. It's been a bit too long, actually. 26 minutes from your longest podcast. But I feel very strongly about this because I have dealt with families who have come to me and asked me for writing incapacity letters, death certificates. And this is all to do with claiming a stake in their loved one's will, uh, a stake in their loved one's estate. Um, and, you know, being a doctor, I've seen it all um, in terms of, you know, grabbing for cash and all that sort of stuff. And there's an element of suspicion uh, when I'm having to deal with um, patients, family members um, about such issues. And I always have a very objective view about this and always liaise with a lawyer. Of course, all doctors have medical indemnities, so always run it past them as well. So it's something that I've been very conscious about in my medical career and in my own life. I've, I've got a will to make sure that, you know, my family is protected in the event that I unfortunately die. Um, and more so my, uh, my children as well. 
Um, so, and my extended family. So, you know, it's something that has crossed my mind and I think it's anything can happen to anyone at any time. Um, and, uh, being in a profession where you see sick people all the time, it's, I'm very much conscious of it. I'm very much aware of it on a daily basis. So that's the end of this episode. This is podcast episode 14 about wills and power of attorneys. Until next time, pay yourself first, but make sure you look after yourself and make sure you look after your family, um, in your death. Make sure you discuss about organ donation, something that I'm very passionate about, and make sure you have all the documents ready to go in the event that you die. Thank you for listening, and this is Raja from Melbourne. Hope you have a great day, and until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>